Welcome to Rope Access Tips, Tricks and Chats. As always, I'll be your host, Lee Greenwood, and I'd like to say welcome to this episode. This week, we're going to do a bit of a change up here. We're going to do a bit of a Q&A. We've had a lot of people reach out to us over the last few months through the social media, through our Facebook page and through our website. We have various questions. We thought we'd spend an episode just answering some of those. If anybody does have any other questions that we don't cover, please reach out to us through Facebook, Rope Access Tips, Tricks and Chats, or jump on our website, ratac.net. It'd be great to hear from you, and we'll most probably do another one if we get a load more questions. But let's crack straight on into it. Here's the first one. I've been asked this quite a lot over the years, so uh, I thought I'd definitely stick this in there straight away. As an IRATA technician, am I a member of IRATA? As I say, get asked this quite a lot. Um, IRATA is a trade association, so it's made up of member companies. So companies uh, get audited and they uh, they become members and then they have technicians that are working for them. And that's us lot. They're level ones, twos and threes. Uh, are just technicians, so you're not actually a member. You don't get any voting rights or anything with IRATA, but you are a recognised technician within the scheme. So the simple answer is no, you're not a member, but you are definitely a very important part of the whole scheme that makes up IRATA. Next one, carrying on with the IRATA theme. As an IRATA technician, can I use the IRATA logo? Some guys like to make little stamps with the IRATA logo on it and their IRATA number. I know companies that aren't IRATA members, that IRATA technicians have used the logo on their website. It is a trademarked logo, so the simple answer is no, you can't. As a, as a company or as an individual, you need to be a member of the association to use it. If you are ever looking at the logo, you most probably see that there's a few numbers at the bottom of it. It will say... Um, four numbers so for fifth point in australia we are we're in the region four so we're four zero zero one ot so that's um operator and trainer so you may see that at the bottom of the uh of the logo as well so that tells you that it's actually a irata member company next irata question here get this from a lot of technicians my ticket's about to expire my level three and how long can I be expired before I have to do my level two or do I have to come back and start all over again because I've expired? There is uh, some documentation available from IRATA to do with this one. But the basic answer is, as a level three, if your ticket expires, you are no longer on IRATA level three. But all you need to do is come into a training centre, do a minimum of four days training, one day independent assessment and pass it and then you are a level three again, you've pretty much got 24 months. So if your ticket expires on the 1st of January, you've got two years until that 1st of January, two years time to uh, come back in and reset your level three. If you don't do it within that 24 months, you can come back in and reset your level two. And then there's a few other hoops you need to jump through, get some hours and some time and then you can go for your level three again. Couple of old school questions here. Can't remember the first time I heard about this one, but it was definitely back when I was a level one, I think back in the late nineties. So as most of you know, 
we're uh, running around on the ropes and we're using a chest ascender and a handle descender, a hand ascender of some description. And somebody said it's half a point. So your chest ascender, your crawl, if you're using one of those, is half a point and your hand ascender is half a point. I've been asked this, oh, I don't know how many times over the years. But I'm going to try and um, give you some my insight into it and where it came from, stories that I've heard. Uh, these are second or third or fourth hand. I have been lucky enough to wander around and chat to uh, quite a lot of guys that have been doing rope access for a very long time at various IRATA events, and so they've sort of given me their insight. So here's the uh, urban myth that I know of. There was a trainer, instructor, would have been a trainer back then, most probably just a level three back when this was happening, and he was running a course teaching some level ones, and they kept putting their crawl on or their chest ascender and didn't put their hand ascender on. So he said to them, imagine that your chest ascender is half a point of attachment. To make that a full point, you need your hand ascender as well. And then you have your backup, I'm guessing, with a timeline on it. It was most probably a shunt. So you've got your shunt that's one point, and then your crawl that is half a point, and you need your hand ascender, which is another half a point. So that's where it sort of came from. And then uh, the urban myth just carried on, and people were like, oh, that's just half a point, this, that, and the other. Here's my take on it. If I'm sitting on my chest ascender, and this has been my take on it since the late 90s, um, I'm sitting on my chest ascender and I have my hand ascender on. All my weight is on my chest ascender, so to me, that's my point of attachment. If I take my hand ascender off, nothing's really changed. If my chest ascender was to explode and fail on the rope completely, I think I would rather fall onto my backup device even back then if it was a shunt or now if it's a duck or an ASAP, rather than falling onto a hand ascender which has a cow's tail attached to it. I don't really want to fall onto an unweighted tooth device. So to me, as long as you've got the chest ascender weighted, it's your point of attachment. And before anybody asks, as I'm moving up the ropes, if some slack goes into it, um, is that then not a point of attachment? Uh, with me, for the distance... It still counts as your point of attachment because it's got your weight on it. There's not massive amounts of slack in the system. I think that brings me on nicely to another point I just thought I'd bring up. Um, I'm not sure if many people have heard this, but this is another one that I heard years ago. The, uh, the cow's tail from your harness to your hand ascender. I know some people run around without them. I have uh, moaned about that on the podcast previously. But... Um, from a caving point of view, that used to be called a chicken link. So you had your single rope, you're on your SRT, single rope technique, you're climbing out of a cave on your chest ascender. And back in the day, they used to have a tendency that they could come off of the rope. So if you were a bit of a chicken, you would have a connection from your harness to your hand ascender. So if your chest ascender came off, at least you would still be attached to the rope by your hand ascender. But um, if you were hardcore... I'm guessing you didn't have that. And if you uh, if your chest ascender came off, you either held on really hard to that hand ascender or you made sure that your foot stayed in there in the foot loop and then you put it back on. So, yeah, that's a bit of one there. But coming back to the um, 
half a point because I know that there was uh, in the ARAA, the Australian Association, before that sort of uh, went in with Sprat. I remember having discussions with various individuals there. They went down the half a point, half a point road. So if you're on your chest ascender, you had to have your hand ascender on there as well before you removed your descender or whatever the other point was that you were changing from. I always used to ask the question, if I was having to send some ropes down to haul somebody up, so I've got a casualty down on a set of ropes and they're on their descender or their ascender, and I slide a hand ascender down with a carabiner attached to a rope, and then I'm going to put that through some sort of uh, progress capture, an ID or a rig or whatever. When I start hauling on that hand ascender, is that hand ascender half a point or is that a full point of attachment? Had this discussion for a few years. I think the ARAA sort of changed their thoughts on how it all worked through some of their members that I'd spoken to and whatever. I'm not taking full credit for that by any stretch of the imagination. But to me, if that device is weighted and loaded, um, it's definitely a point of attachment. Maybe if I turn it upside down, it's a full point and turn it around the other way, it's half a point. Who knows? Maybe I'm completely wrong. Let me know. Always reach out. Let me know what you think. So yeah, so that's the uh, half a point story as I know it. I think that nicely brings me on to the next one. Um, I've been asked this in training centres. Had somebody reach out on Facebook and ask me this one as well. I think it started with, Lee, you're, you're old. You've been doing this a long time, which is always a good way to... Uh, Start asking me a question, I guess. Why do we use two ropes and how did that come about? So I'm relying on folklore and stories that I've heard from various bars while I've been at various conferences or going for walks through beautiful cities with various people before exec meetings. So this is a uh, this is what I know about that one. So originally, rope access started. There was... Uh, People working on pretty much cliff faces, doing a lot of geo-type stuff. Um, on single rope, they were climbers, cavers, all that type of thing. They were descending down on a single rope and working around. And then um, they started to get work around in the city, or this is a story I was told. They were working on some quite nice buildings around the city, nice parts of, uh, of town. And then, um, and then they started getting some work on some not-so-nice parts of town, you know, around... Peak District around Sheffield, some stuff up in Scotland through Glasgow, places like that. And they were working on sort of council flats uh, in the dark, scary parts of town. And they were abseiling down. And all of a sudden they started thinking, oh, what if somebody reached out of a window and cut my rope? Oh, that wouldn't be very good. So they weren't actually worried about their anchors at the top because they, they had two anchors. They were load sharing, sharing the load like they did in the mountains. And then the ropes were going over the edge. They weren't that concerned about the ropes going over the edge because they had sort of some sort of edge management going on there. But then they were concerned about if somebody decides to cut their rope. So what a lot of them did, or so I've been told, they had their abseiling rope that they used, but the only other rope they had was their climbing rope. So 50 metres um, dynamic rope. So they thought, oh, I'll use that as my second rope. And they were coming up with various ways of attaching to that some people were using various descenders there were some prussics being used some people had a device called the shunt um, and they attached that to their harness by various connections seemed to work quite well so a lot of people moved over to that as many of you all know and um, I know we're working away and if anything went wrong 
uh, they fall onto that. If guys were using the shunt, some of them put them onto both ropes, so they had it attached to the working rope and the backup rope as well, because it could take both ropes. And then um, there's a bit of a famous uh, sort of bridge viaduct thing in uh, in Yorkshire, I believe it is, up in the Peak District somewhere. Around there, I've never actually been there, but this is what I was told. They were doing some testing. Um, I believe Mark Wright was involved in some of this. Um, always got a lot of time for Mark. He's done a lot for the association over the years. So thanks for that, Mark. Um, yeah, I've been told that he was involved in some of this and some other individuals in the association. And they thought they'd do some testing. So they um, went down. There was a river down the bottom. And I believe that they got some sort of water container and... Um, filled up with water to make it 100 kilos. They had hung some ropes down, attached this water container, and then they cut one of the lines to see what would happen. They found out some interesting things. Um, first thing they found out, if the uh, if the shunt was attached to both ropes, the one that they've just cut, that, because it no longer had any weight on it, it went fatter, so it got bigger. You know, 11 mil rope under tension is less than 11 mil. And so that got fatter. And then the rope that they were trying to grab onto, that was getting skinnier. So it just slid through there. Things started hitting the ground. Water went everywhere, so I've been told. And so that was um, that was sort of one issue that they discovered. And then they tried it again, I believe. And um, they had the dynamic rope as their backup rope. And they cut the, um, the low stretch rope, the um, static rope that they were descending on. And what they found, because of the amount of stretch in the dynamic rope, uh, everything hit the ground. So I believe that's when they moved over to, oh, maybe we should use two low-stretch ropes, the system that we have these days. And then they put the shock-absorbing capability into the into the harness from the backup device to the harness, being a dynamic cow's tail. So that had the dynamic section, obviously being a lot shorter, so the load didn't fall as far. So yeah, that's uh, that's the stories I've been told over the years. I thought I'd share those ones with you because, uh, as I say, a few people have asked me because obviously I'm one of the old guys. I'm trying to get all these old guys in um, on these episodes and uh, get them to tell the stories firsthand, but I'm just passing on second or third hand. If I've got it all wrong, please reach out to me. Uh, as I say, this is what I've been told. Happy to be corrected. Happy for you to come on here and tell me your side if you were there. Um cutting ropes and seeing big water containers flying around it'd be great to chat to you so that was a bit of a history lesson or urban myth or folklore or whatever that i've been told um next couple of questions that i've got are to do with a uh, pretty hot topic at the moment edge management how we uh, manage our edges um, and things like that so one of the questions is if i'm using a roller so an edge roller on an edge do I need one or do I need two? Seems to be the question. Um, a couple of people have asked me uh, via Facebook. This is my take, obviously my opinion on this one. I believe that a uh, edge roller is a barrier. I don't believe it's a rope protector as we uh, as we think of a rope protector. So I would put that in the barrier area. And obviously it's a smooth engineered piece of kit. As long as it's installed correctly and it stays in place and the ropes are going to stay in place, I would say that you just need one barrier to protect your ropes uh, going over at the edge. Obviously, it depends on the circumstance. If you think the ropes are going to move out of it, I'll be putting um, you know, mats underneath it or other rope protection and things like that, putting something else in place. But pretty much for me as a general rule, if, um, 
if the ropes aren't going to move and they're sitting on there, uh, a roller is uh, is a barrier, so I'm happy with one. That takes me nicely on to uh, some edge protection. A lot of you guys, I'm sure you've seen the, the um, Rope Pro uh, put together by Chris Parkin a few years ago, now owned by DMM. Great pieces of kit. He's got a really good mat that comes out, and people have said the same thing to me, right? So this is a uh, this is a rope protector. So do I need one or two? I think I've counted it up. With the uh, the mat that I'm talking about, there's about five, if not six, layers of material there. So there's a base, and then you've got the uh, sort of the mat inside, and then there's another piece of material, and then there's a pad on top, and then you've got the two flaps that go over. So there's three or four pieces of material below it, and a couple on top as well. For me, um, one of those is sufficient for both of my ropes. Obviously, depending on the circumstances, if I believe that the ropes are going to come out of it uh, for whatever reason, if I'm swinging around or there's movement involved, I would be looking at doubling it up. But I'd be happy on a sort of fixed standard edge straight descent to just be using a, a single one of those DMM mats. So that's a couple of uh, edge management ones there for you. So here's another question that I get asked quite a lot. I think you may have heard me mention this um, on a couple of the podcasts. If you've trained with me, you would have heard me chat about this. If you've sat around at an iTech with me, this may have come up in conversation as well. Uh, The Singapore Special, as it's lovingly known. I get people reach out and go, what's a Singapore Special? How do you do that? What are they talking about? So I'm going to try and break it down into uh, what it is. It's basically... Uh, level three rescue putting a lot of the elements together taking away a lot of the gear basically going old school um, putting in some of the stuff that's no longer in the syllabus Uh, why is it called the singapore special i was uh, flying over to singapore back in 2004 2005 something like that Uh, sitting there with a little coaster having a having a beer thinking about rope access yep i'm that guy i'm that sad guy sitting on a plane thinking about rope access and i came up with this rescue uh, i wanted to give it a funky cool name so uh singapore special it got called because that's where i was heading so what is it let's see if we can break it down it's a hanging hall rescue so the rescuer if you want to set this up um, have a go if you want to reach out and i can send you some pictures as well happy to do that so it's a hanging hall you're going to be up in the ceiling hanging on a couple of cow's tails. There's going to be... So you'll be on two anchors hanging on some cow's tails. There's going to be a set of ropes hanging next to you on two anchors heading down, about halfway down. You know, height of a training centre is quite good, you know, 8, 10, 12 metres, something like that. About halfway down, there's a couple of knots, a couple of alpine butterflies we normally throw some tape on there so you can see where the damage is. One of them's a small damaged area and the other one's got a large damaged area on it. So that sort of funks it up a little bit. And then about three quarters of the way down the rope, you've got your casualty. I'd suggest putting a dummy on there, a 70, 80 kilo dummy. I wouldn't get your mate to do it. He may be hanging there for quite a while. And, um, and they're on their chest ascender with a backup device. So duck something like that back in 04 we were playing around with shunts and stops and all of that stuff if you want to go real old school pull those out of the storage facility and have a go with those so the basic uh, 
setup is tight on the crawl, tight on the backup device. So we need to go and break into a tight line whilst hanging in the ceiling, hauling the casualty up towards us. When the casualty, those two knots are on the casualties lines, when they get up to us, you need to bypass those two damaged knots through the system, through whatever your hauling system is. Carry on hauling the dummy up to you. Uh, get the casualty all the way up to you. Once you get the casualty all the way up to you, you then need to reverse it, but sending them all the way down to the ground. So attaching them however you want to and then lowering them off and getting those two knots passed again on the lower. Sounds pretty straightforward. I'm sure if you had spare ropes, uh, Petzl Grillons, uh, the Skylatech lorry um, lanyards and stuff like that, it'd be pretty easy. But here's the cool bit. I've got a bit of a list here, so I'm just going to run through what you've got. So you've got your harness on with a chest ascender built into it, most probably, in, or connected somehow. You've got your helmet on. And then you've got your cow's tails, depending on how you set up. Some people are set up with three cow's tails, some people are set up with four, and you've got a carabiner on the end of each of those. You've got your descender. Um, no going super new school, you know, you can't go throwing your clutch in there. Come on, let's, uh, let's go a bit retro on this, you know, pull out an ID, maybe a rig. Stop if you've got one is always fun. And that's got a carabiner. You've then got your hand ascender, which is going to be attached to one of the carabiners on your cow's tails and your foot loop. And then you've got two backup devices. Um, if we're going as retro as we can, a couple of ducks or enforcers, something like that. If you want to be using an ASAP, you're not going to get the extra carabiner for the end of that. You're going to have to grab one of the carabiners, you know, we're limiting the amount of gear that you've got basically, so you don't get any extra carabiners. The one extra thing you do get on top of sort of a real basic kit is one pulley, but that's going to be clipped onto one of the carabiners on your cow's tails. So depending on how you're rolling, uh, if you're rolling with four cow's tails, you get those four carabiners on the end. If you've got three cow's tails, grab an extra carabiner to put that pulley on, and then you've got two backup devices, ducks, um, hand ascender, and pretty much that's uh, that's all the kit that you get. And you need to complete the rescue, hauling them all the way up, maintaining minimum distances and all of that stuff, and then lowering them back off. Um, if you fancy having a crack, definitely give it a go. It's uh, it's definitely some fun. To give you some times on it, uh, in an eight-metre-high training facility, shortest time I've ever seen it done is about 32 minutes. Longest time I've ever seen it done is about three and a half hours. So make sure you hydrate. Make sure you've uh, got some water with you. Make sure you've got somebody else there if they need to get you out of dodge. You know, play the game properly. Don't just set yourself up in your training centre. You trainers there on your own wondering what you're going to do for the afternoon. Uh, make sure you've got rescue cover there. You've got an exit strategy if you need to. Um, but yeah, that's the, uh, the lovingly known Singapore special. Give it a crack. Don't get to throw that in assessments uh, anymore. It has been out there a few times. Some of the guys who have been on the podcast with me, they've had a go. Um, one I remember a long time ago was uh, Carl Raby. He uh, he was being assessed by me, and he asked me if I had anything hard. So I gave him uh, I gave him that setup, and uh, I think he said, "When am I ever going to need to do this?" I think my reply was, um, 
when you ask the assessor if he's got anything hard. So, um, yeah, that was uh, quite a few years ago now, but yeah, I remember that one. I'm sure a few other people have played with similar setups. They might not have the same name, but I thought I'd share that with you because a lot of people have been asking. Let us know how you get on with this one because it's, uh, it's a bit of fun. It is good. It gets you thinking. You need to think sort of three or four steps ahead. Make sure you don't end up with all your carabiners being used for something. Um, and you need to you need to go old school. You need to improvise. You need to come up with ways of not using up those carabiners. Um, I really enjoy it. I like teaching it to people, showing them different methods that they can do, um, using different bits of kit. But anyway, good luck with that one. So that was a nice little group of uh, questions, a couple of sort of rather specific ones couple talking about um, some bits of kit and how we use them a few urban myths folklores whatever and then uh, some pretty hot topics about edge management thanks for coming in and uh, joining us on this episode guys really appreciate it if you're not following us already just jump on the uh, the relevant buttons on wherever you're listening to it and click the like and the follow and all of those things just so you can get the latest updates of when the episodes come out As I said at the start, if you've got any other questions you'd like me to answer, uh, I do have a pretty good network, so if I don't have the answers, I'm sure I could uh, reach out to the right people and get some answers from them. So yeah, definitely uh, reach out, let us know your questions. On Facebook, Rope Access Tips, Tricks and Chats, or on our website, ratac.net. Be great to hear from you guys. But anyway, for now, stay safe. I'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.